0: Happy 9-11, everybody. If you are in New York listening to this right now on Wednesday, guess what? I am there tonight at the Bell House in Brooklyn, 8 p.m. Tickets may be available on my website right now, jenkirkman.com. Go to the homepage. If uh, you'd prefer, you can show up at the door, but take your chances with that. And this weekend, September 13th, I will be in Boston, my hometown, Wilbur Theater. Again, all tickets, jenkirkman.com. Right there on the homepage, you can also go to jenkirkman.com and click tour if you want. So just know that's where the tickets are, and I'm going to run you through the dates Kabu Festival, Del Mar, San Diego, September 15th. Then I will be in Toronto for the JFL 42 Festival doing four stand-up shows, a live podcast taping, and a panel on how to make it in stand-up comedy. That is September 19th through 22nd. Back in Los Angeles, September 26th, a big, big, big show. One hour of me doing stand-up. It's only 10 bucks, no drink minimum, at the Hayworth Theatre in Los Angeles. Then off to Europe. I will be at the Soho Theatre, London, six shows, September 30th through October 5th, Manchester, UK. Sunday, October 6th, Amsterdam... Tuesday, October 8th, Oslo, Norway, Sunday, October 13th, and back to America, and I will be in Oklahoma City on Thursday, November 6th, and I will be, I lied, sorry, Thursday, November 7th, and I will be in Milwaukee on Friday, November 8th, and then we are in San Francisco on November 17th, tickets for that are not quite on sale yet, if you go to my website, JenKirkman.com, you can click, join that newsletter, you'll get an email the morning they go on sale, and you don't want to miss it, because this will sell out, and then, In December, I will be in Richmond, Virginia, Friday, December 6th, and Durham, North Carolina, Saturday, December 7th. Both of those shows are called Comedy with a Touch of Christmas and finishing off the year, my final show, December 13th, with Jen Kirkman's Dysfunctional Christmas Show. And I've already booked some dates. Oh, that's in Los Angeles. I've already booked some dates for 2020, so get on that newsletter so that you will know. All right, see you on the other side of the theme song. Having funlessness, having funlessness, having funlessness, with Jen Kirkman. Hi, everybody. It's episode 302. This is Having Funlessness with Jen Kirkman. I am Jen Kirkman. Thanks for tuning in. Oh, this week, well, by the time you hear this, I will be in New York City because I have a show there tonight. It is 9-11. I am there on 9-11. I was there on the original 9-11. It means a lot to me to be in the most wonderful city in the world with the most amazing people on earth. And I always get very sentimental and emotional this time of year. And it means a lot to me when I can be in New York for that anniversary and be so grateful for my life. So this episode is called New York Stories. And I am going to tell you all about my horrible, crazy day jobs that I had in New York. It's going to be fun New York stories. And, you know, some of these you may have heard dribs and drabs of before. I've definitely talked about it on other podcasts. I maybe have talked about it on this podcast. But why not just revisit, you know, there's going to be a lot of people revisiting 9-11 this year, but let's revisit the late 90s and early 2000s of just silliness. And hopefully this will inspire anybody who's young and stupid and has terrible jobs, to know that anything could change in a moment's notice. But until they do, yeah, just got to laugh, right? I mean, at least you have podcasts to listen to at your horrible job. Well, you didn't even have that. My God, you would have had to... It would have been so weird to like bring a a CD player to my job and listen to music. It would have been considered rude, to be honest. To have headphones on was totally insane. You could not sit at your desk with headphones on and look like you were a working member of society. But now you can sit there with your earbuds. Oh, I'm listening to podcasts and doing work. I mean, no, 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 no. That was never. That was never a thing. So, oh, my God. So in this week's episode, we'll break for a couple listener emails as well. And uh, let's just start out with some iTunes reviews, and if you're new to this podcast, and maybe you'll get a sense of it from the reviews, if you go on Apple Podcasts, you can give it five stars, you can subscribe, you can write a review, I'm looking to get 2000 by 2020. So here you go. This is from Moker Joe, relatively new adopter, but I didn't know about Jen until the Netflix specials, or about the podcast until very recently, but I am sold she says the podcasts are not intended to be comedy, but the way she tells her stories, you can't help but smile and laugh. I'm a fan. So we're driving down to see her live in Athens. Oh, thank you. There that already happened. Can't wait. This is from QM91. Here's the thing I love about Jen Kirkman. She is a person, a whole entire person who is brave enough (laughs) to show different sides of herself on different occasions and use her art to make people feel a spectrum of emotions. She is hilariously funny in her stand-up, thoughtful and pensive in her writing, and curiously personal in this lovely podcast that reminds me that people are people full of foibles and eccentricities. Last review, I'll read Smart, Real, and Witty by Bruz. B R U H S. Bruz. I listened to Women in Comedy on Pandora and discovered Jen. I can't believe that's a category. When will they, when will they get over it and stop th- separating us? I'm so glad I Googled her and found this podcast in her books. We're the same age and single. I love her refreshing perspective on focusing on her career and not needing a boyfriend. Well, it's not a refreshing perspective. I, I have no choice because my career is in a really tough place and nobody's interested in dating me. Like, it's not like I love when people think it's a choice, but I'm okay. You have to be okay with it. Um, no, people are interested, but I'm not interested back. Anyway, I'm trying to read reviews, but I get I get defensive when people write that because I'm like, guys, it's not good to just focus on career, not of relationships. I'm just in a shitty place. <laughs> like It's a hard year career wise and I don't have time for a boyfriend. And no one has like snapped me out of that yet. I've been to Disneyland as a kid, and it never made much of an impression, but now the next time I'm there for a trade show, I'm definitely making time for it. I look forward to listening to more. Thank you. Great job. That, to any new listeners, I mentioned Disneyland on a former episode. Uh, this, this show doesn't really have anything to do with Disneyland. Anyway, thank you all. I really, really appreciate it. Ah, there we go. All right, so New York stories. New York Concrete jungle within the bee you bee bada poo boo I'm just going to do that the whole episode. <clears throat> All right, folks. And then at the end, I'm going to read an article about—I <clears throat> didn't read this last week, and I think I said I was going to. In Modern Man magazine, there is an article about how to talk to women who are wearing headphones. Uh, My perspective is simply—this is my article—don't ever fucking do that. Okay, so let's go back in time. I am but an early twenty-something girl, and I I have wonderful day jobs in outside of um, in my life. I I worked at Boston Ballet. That's why I had to say it, Boston Ballet, not Boston Ballet. And I was a ticket person there. Uh, You would picture that I'm sitting at the theater selling tickets at the window. That actually, those are people who work for the theaters, and that's a union job. That's a very hard job to get. I was working specifically at Boston Ballet headquarters in the subscriber department. So I was in charge of all the old people who had tickets to the ballet and uh, group sales, and then I moved on to work at a company called Broadway in Boston, and we did group sales for theatrical shows. So I had, you know, those are real jobs, and they were fulfilling, and they were fun, and then I moved to New York, and in my head, I think, won't it be great to not have a real job? I'm going to have temp jobs, or I'm going to waitress, and that is going to be what I do as an artist Because I'm going to do stand-up every night. And boy, was I wrong about how fun it is to have a temp job. It's a fucking miserable nightmare. (laughs) And I will run you through the crazy jobs that I have had in New York City. So picture this. I've moved to New York. And I know that I'm a competent worker. And I sign up for a temp agency. And I think I'm just going to stroll in and say... Hey, I co-ran a department in Boston, but I'm not ever going to be working doing ticket sales in New York. Again, because it's a union job at a theater and I couldn't break into that union. So I'm sitting there taking typing tests. Now, I nailed it. I'm 99 words a minute with very little errors. Thank you. And I learned to type on a typewriter, you motherfuckers. You know how hard that is? Not at this computer keyboard. Anyone who can't type on a computer, something's wrong with you. I was typing on a clink, clink, clink with the... I mean, that's to type that fast on a fucking typewriter? Woo. Anyway, so I don't know if I could do it now because it's been years. But I take, I take all the tests. They take the Microsoft Word test and then the Excel test. And I think there was PowerPoint back then. Everyone acts like you're going to have to do PowerPoint. You don't have to do PowerPoint. I mean... You do in a way, but if there's ever a big presentation, no one's really going to ask you to do it. I don't know. I just found that the people who even bothered to make a PowerPoint presentation, they would just do it themselves. So anyway, I remember, I mean, I don't remember what half my jobs were, but I remember working in like billing departments of a nursing place, like a place that hired, it was like, I went to work for a temp agency that hired nurses and I was in their billing or something. I don't even know. I just remember sitting there going, Oh my God, this is so oppressively boring. I did a lot of leaving on my lunch hour and never coming back, which is really dangerous because then you burn your relationship with that temp agency. But there were so many temp agencies. I would be like, okay, I have to leave right now. I can't take it anymore. And then I would just impulsively get up and leave. And then I would be like, well, I guess I burned that relationship with the temp agency. And, you know, back then there was no texting. So they'd call you at home and you would just never call back. And that was it. Ghosting was so much easier. Um, So I would but then I would be reminded of the hell of having to retake the stupid temp tests at the next agency and you know, lie. Oh, I just moved here. I wouldn't tell them. Oh, I'm totally someone who walks out on the job. I just worked for that other temp agency. I mean, and I'm like too old to be acting this way. I think I'm like 24 at this time. Like it's not great. So my friend, my roommate got me a job at KPMG, which was like a finance place. And it was my favorite. It was the last temp job I had that actually turned into fun. I worked in the basement with these three women. Two of them were like older and single and like they were in their 40s, but they weren't the kind of 40s that I am. They're like, they seemed like real adult women. I mean, I wasn't in my 40s then, but you know what I mean? Looking back, I'm like, oh my God, they were my age, but they were in the event planning department. So we spent our days, oh, this is my favorite thing to do, going over Excel spreadsheets of people's names and then marking off if they had responded to their invitation. And then, oh my God, just handwriting really carefully envelopes. That's my favorite thing to do. It was just that type of mindless work. I don't mean mindless, but just repetitive work that is so soothing to my ADHD. And they were like, Jen is so attentive to detail, but my roommate who got me the job there. Her brain was the opposite of mine and she did not like that kind of work. And she would put it off until the last minute and then everything would be rushed. And it sort of became a thing where I took over the job because she, she was going away for summer theater and she said, my roommate really needs a job if you guys don't want to go through the whole thing of hiring another temp, Jen's great. You know, you don't have to go through hiring a stranger. I mean, she is a stranger, but she knows me. And so I took over for my roommate, Anne. And then, um, yeah, they kind of never asked Anne back because I did the job so well. It's very much the Brady Bunch episode where... Um, Jan and Marsha both work at the ice cream shop. And I forget who ends up being the better worker. He's like, Jan's just the better worker. Or maybe it was Mar. I don't remember. One of them was the better worker. So if anyone wants to email me, icingfund at gmail.com, I'm sure I'll figure it out by the time you hear this. But you send me an email about your worst job, and, and I'll read it on the air sometime. So anyway, but I liked that job. And that we got to, we were, um, you know, a bunch of the business men at this company. They were going to the Ryder Cup, which is where, you know, that's the fancy golf tournament. And Tiger Woods was playing. This is like late 90s. And it was at the golf course that's like in the town over from my parents. And my dad's a greenskeeper. So they were going and we got to be in this fancy tent. And, you know, we flew to New York. I mean, we flew from New York to Boston. And, you know, it was like a real job and I was good at it. And I really liked working with those ladies. Like they were just, you know, before all this stuff, they, they totally would have had a live, laugh, love sign or a but first coffee. But everything seemed so simple with them. Did that make sense? Like, I loved observing them. They would get so stressed out. Like, Mr. Jones is going to, he really needs like a really good seat at this event. So we really have to make sure, Jennifer, I don't want to micromanage, but you did send out his invitation, right? I'm like, I did. And they would just be like, they would take it upon themselves to get so stressed about doing the job right that they they really earned their martini at the end of the night. And then the two of them would go to this little bar around the corner in Times Square. I just loved their life. I would love to know what those ladies are doing now. It seemed like they were just kind people but super stressed out all of the time. And they cared so much about their job. And I swear to God, if you had said to the busy businessmen upstairs, do you even know that you have an event planning department in the basement? They'd be like, I honestly didn't. Like, it just seemed, I know what they're saying. These events were important, but at the end of the day, they weren't. But it was amazing. But before I found them, I remember I worked at this place called Solid ING. I think that was the name of it. Solid ING. I don't even know if it's still a place, but this reminded me of, you know, this is before, Oh, I think it's just called ING now. Let's see what happened with them. Probably like some horrible company. I mean, of course it was. It was an investment company. ING Group announced on August 4th that it recorded a solid second quarter in 2011. I don't know if it's still around. Anyway, my point is, I worked, I, I think I worked for them. Maybe they were called something else, but it was this New York, I I don't even know, it wasn't on Wall Street, but it was some kind of brokerage firm? I have no idea. And the big head honcho guys would sit in their offices, and this is landlines, you guys, landline phones, heavy ones with cords, push button, and they would throw the phones. You could hear them throwing the phones at their doors. And they would open the door and, get and put my phone back together for me. I feel like they were guys who had watched too much of the movie, like Boiler Room or Wall Street. I don't even think I've seen those movies, but I felt like I was watching people imitate characters they'd seen in a movie. And you could hear, every once in a while, they go, do you want to come in here to me? And they go, do you want to watch what we're doing? And I was like, I mean, sure. And they're like, well, don't you want to be a broker? And I was like, no. And they're like, well, why are you temping here? And it it was the strangest thing in my early days of temping in New York at all of these financial places, they had never, I, I just wanted to go, well, look out the window. I mean, see all those theaters and, I mean, it's New York City. Isn't that where the artsy-fartsy people live? And it really isn't in a way. You know, New York is run by finance and and it's really not, I mean, it, you know, it is in one sense, The you move to New York or L.A. basically if you want to be an actor, right? But for the people in the other industries they they don't even think it's as big and so to them it, they 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 said well why don't you get a temp job at the theater and there isn't such a thing as a temp job at a theater i said this is i have to earn money this is you know and i think some of them were annoyed that they had to deal with temps that actually didn't want to end up doing that for a living And there was so much, you know, you can have financial security if you learn. I should have learned how to be a broker. That'd be amazing if I was the comedian broker. And during the day, I'm just screaming, buy, sell, buy, sell, you know, and I get on stage and give stock tips. I mean, I totally fucked up. That's what I should have done with my life. So I just remember, though, they didn't have a desk for me. And I shared a desk with this guy, I forget his name, but like Anthony, you know, and this lady. And I sat at a file cabinet. So imagine if you're sitting at a desk, but there's no underneath because it's a file cabinet. So my knees were pressed up against the file cabinet and they would clear off a little bit of the table that they sat at. And I just remember eating a lot of bagels. That, that was it. It was like, I just ate bagels. There's something in a bagel that really soothes your depression. I don't know what it is, if it's the, if it does, I don't know if it's like the sugar and the carb content that just sends your serotonin through the roof, but I'm thinking of a bagel right now and I will be bloated for seven days if I eat one to the point where people will think I'm having a baby. and I I'm seriously so tempted to go get a bagel after this, even though there's pants I need to fit into by next week. Just thinking, oh my God, a hot bagel. Oh my God with butter. Anyway, just a lot of eating bagels and sitting there and them going, well, I don't understand those. So you do comedy. It, does that pay? No, it doesn't. But someday it could. And I, well, where do you perform? At Caroline's? No, I'm not at Caroline's yet. Um, but you know, I, 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 you know, it's places on the Lower East Side and, and, and they'd just be staring at me. The Lower East Side, what? And I remember filing and there was just so much filing to do that, they, weren't, they wouldn't buy new file cabinets. And Anthony would say, wow, they're just so cheap here. They're not buying new file cabinets. So imagine opening a file cabinet that is so jammed packed that you cannot get a file into it. And I just remember coming home with so many <laughs> paper cuts. And I remember bleeding one day on the files. I had this hangnail from pressing just trying to push down these files into the cabinet and then eventually we just started giving up and filing things in boxes and putting them near the cabinets and the broker guys would get so mad because it didn't look good and we'd say well, you have to buy new file cabinets and I think back then I thought god file cabinets must be so expensive and now I realize why what well, seriously like why I could have just gone to Home Depot and probably bought my bought it myself a $30 file cabinet and brought it upstairs I think I lasted there all of two weeks. I'm making it sound like it was this torture. But then I had a job at DKNY, and this is way before Devil Wears Prada, and I had the exact same situation. So I loved working there. I was not on the showroom floor or anything. It was in their corporate offices, and I worked. It was these people that weren't. Remember, if you guys ever watched Friends, Rachel became a buyer for Bloomingdale's. And it meant she would go around and decide what was going to be in the stores. That was sort of what these people did. They were selling to buyers, trying to get people to buy. Hey, we've got the new DKNY purses and blah blah blah. So, and if you don't know Donna Karen, that's her. That's her like, you know, smaller label, like the the more affordable version, DKNY. So I sat there, and again, it was just one of those spreadsheet jobs, and I loved it. I love a spreadsheet. Oh, my God. I love data entry. I can't even tell you. I will do data entry for you all day long if you pay me. I'll do it. I'll do it. So I would sit there, and again, we're in these crappy offices. Nobody, it's not fabulous like Vogue. Nobody sees you, but... You know, they worked in fashion and sure, maybe every once in a while, someone a little influential might walk by or they'd have to go into, there were some practice showrooms in there and they would set things up and they would have the buyers come in and they could see all the purses. So, you know, every once in a while they had to really bring it and look good, but on a general day-to-day level, they didn't. And it, you would have thought they had seen The Devil Wears Prada, but again, it wasn't even a book yet. But they had, They, I had the woman that was the Emily Blunt character, and I had the gay guy. That was the Stanley Tucci character that eventually took it upon himself to give me a makeover. So this story involves bagels as well. So I would tell you, every day I would get my bagel at the corner at the little deli and come upstairs with my coffee in my hand in those New York coffee cups with the blue writing and my hot bagel wrapped in tinfoil. foil. Oh! Bagel's so fucking bad. I want two bagels. I want one with cream cheese on it, and I want to eat it like a sandwich. And then I want like a super burnty toasted one with butter dripping off it. Butter that they put on. And that's what I love about New York. There's no giving you a hot bagel with frozen pads of butter. No, you go into any deli in New York, bagel with butter, you go lots of butter. They're like, I got you. They smear it on. And it's all melty. Oh, it's good. Even though I try not to eat dairy, but oh, when I do, it's that. When I do, that's what it is. So I come up with my bagel and my coffee. And, you know, I'm I'm it's very Andy, whatever her name is from Devil Wears Prada, Anne Hathaway. I'm wearing my black tights with my clunky, hey, it's nineteen ninety nine Mary Jane shoes. You know, you can step in a puddle in those shoes and still get on with your life. Um, maybe they weren't Mary Jane said, but you know, and they would look at my outfits or one time I think I wore, um, shoes with socks, which you would think is that's what you do, but you don't not at DKNY in this shit department that sometimes saw the light of day. And first of all, I came upstairs and the gay guy was like, I can't with the bagels anymore. I'm like. But you're eating a bagel at your desk. He goes, I didn't get it myself. You cannot walk into this building holding a bagel and a coffee. It just, we have that delivered so so that you can just walk in unencumbered. And I thought, oh, okay. And I always thought this was something that I didn't really understand was not hoity-toity, even though it sounds it. But you could call the deli on the corner and order your bagel and coffee, and a guy would come up and deliver it to you. And, you know, maybe they did like it because you can make a couple extra bucks on a tip. Get out, you know, and if everyone in your office ordered it, you could place one big order. So I, But I used to think for some reason I had these weird ideas about what was, you know, New York elite and what wasn't. And to me, I thought people who got their bagel and coffee delivered were assholes. Even if they weren't rich themselves, I just thought that's such a dick move. And honestly, I mean, this is really dark, but that's the first thing I thought of on nine 11 was what if someone was delivering a bagel to some lazy ass on the 80th floor and they were trapped in there and they don't even work there. Not that the people that work there deserved their fate, but they did work there every day. They, you know what I mean? In other words, they, they would have been there anyway, but to be like, I wasn't even supposed to be here. And I came at the exact wrong moment. Now I don't know if there's any stories of the bagel delivery guy, but for some reason that made me crazy. Um, So I started having to get my bagels delivered. And, you know, for a a lowly temp, I didn't, I couldn't afford the extra tip. And, you know, sometimes you don't have cash on you. And so that, that was a lot for me. And then one day the gay guy came over to me and he said, why do you wear socks? And I said, because it's New York and it's cold. And he went, but it doesn't look good. And now I think he's wrong. Now there's like so many cute socks and, you know, socks with sandals, socks with high heels is even a look, but... He, he pulled up his leg and he said, I always make sure I have a tan on my ankles. I think he was getting spray tans. And he said, and I wear a leather loafer, no sock. See how much better that looks. And he's right. It did look fantastic. But I thought, well, I'm not... Oh, fine. So they, they told me no tights and no socks. So I would wear bare legs <laughs> in the winter. It was insane. And I got... I didn't get fired, but I didn't get rehired, if that makes sense. It was a week-to-week job, but I had been there for months, and I don't think anyone noticed. And this girl would sign my timesheet, and she would say, you know, the woman that originally hired a temp doesn't even work in this department anymore, and I think it was supposed to only be a one-week job, but I'll keep signing it because we don't mind you here. I mean, I did nothing. I did nothing at that job. I did a spreadsheet, like, the first week, and then after that I would just sit there, and I don't know what I would do what did I do without the internet early iterations of the internet where you're just loading and reading people's blogs and that kind of thing. So, but I, I do, I wasn't asked back because I was supposed to deliver these purses to the showroom because there was some buyers coming and I forgot my key card or my badge or something. And I got locked in a stairwell. And again, this is not really cell phone time And I think I did have a cell phone, but like a flip phone with an antenna and there was no reception in there and people couldn't hear me banging on the door. And so I was late and the purses never got to the showroom on time. And then they finally opened the door and they found me there. And they were just like, well, it's too late now. The woman had to leave and we couldn't show her this one purse that we just told you to walk down the hall. I don't understand how like that. That's all they did. Jennifer, take these purses into the showroom right now. She puts them all up my arms. Okay, just walk right down that hall. Okay, that's all I had to do was walk down a hall. And I fucked it up. And I got locked in a stairwell. (laughs) They're like, record numbers. DKNY company. No profits in 1999. What happened? Oh, my God. But I did start going to therapy that year. But uh, speaking of therapy... I can't wait to tell you guys about the therapist I went to in New York. Oh, my God. Talk space. We all need someone to talk to, a person who can support us through rough patches or even the everyday ups and downs of life, the stresses of work, the the problems of family, maybe deep, dark secrets you've never told anybody. But, you know, your friends at brunch can't always take on all of your problems, and they don't always have the answers because, listen, if you want to get some behavioral direction, why not go to someone who studies human behavior. Life can be stressful. It's not always easy to find time for yourself, which is why Talkspace is amazing. Go to talkspace.com and you're going to use code Jen and you're going to get $65 off your first month. But let's backtrack. What am I even talking about? Talkspace is online therapy. It makes taking care of your mental health more affordable and convenient than ever before. And by the way, we all have mental health. It doesn't mean anything's wrong with you, right? We all have thought patterns and And worries and fears and feelings, that's all umbrellaed under mental health. So anyway, you provide your preferences for therapy, and Talkspace will match you with one of the 5,000 therapists that they have that very same day. And after you have a session, you don't have to wait for your next appointment to continue talking about what's on your mind. With Talkspace, you can send unlimited messages to your dedicated therapist from the privacy of your device anywhere, anytime of day. And if you're having tough uh, tough times, you can always schedule a live video session with your therapist for extra support. So again, join more than 1 million people who are feeling happier with Talkspace. Finding the right therapist does not have to be stressful. Their matching process is super easy. It's based on your unique preferences. And if you want to switch therapists, easy, easy peasy. Anytime, no extra cost, you can do that. Again, one month, of therapy on the Talkspace platform costs about the same amount as a single face-to-face session. So let's do this. Talkspace has more than 5,000 licensed therapists who are experienced in addressing the challenges we all face. To match with your perfect therapist for a fraction of the price of traditional therapy, go to Talkspace.com. Make sure to use the code GEN to get 65 bucks off your first month and to show your support for the show. That's code Gen Talkspace.com. So, yeah, so I start going to therapy in New York, and this woman, <laughs> I forget her name, and she's sitting there, and honestly, we had no relationship. I, I, it, She just sat there and listened. She never said anything. She never said, <laughs> well, it sounds like this, or she just went, mm-hmm. You know, when, I would talk about how much I hated my jobs, and I was so stressed, and... My roommate was messy and, you know, all kinds of things. And so she'd go, well, what do you want to do? And then go, I want to do stand-up comedy. And she'd go, well, why don't you just do that? And I was like, well, I mean, you have to – it's hard to get paid to do it. And it pays, you know, I think of her – at that point I'd heard some spots pay $25 a night. You know, I said, it, it, it's not a – well, why would you want to do something you don't make any money at? And I said, well, it's an art and my passion. She acted, again, another New Yorker who was acting as though, what, what – Who does comedy and why? I guess maybe she just thought people didn't do it. So she goes, I I don't know anyone who does stand-up comedy for a living. And that was her, I guess, her justification that I shouldn't try to do it, that she didn't personally know anyone who did it for a living. I mean, it's very rare to know someone personally who does stand-up comedy for a living. But I just thought, okay. And she said, Robin Williams, do you know him? And I said, no. And she said, well, he seems like a good person to get to know. Maybe he could help you. And I thought, is that the... That's... Well, no. I Robin Williams cannot help me. <laughs> it's like so bizarre. It's just so bizarre to look back on life and go, now he's dead. And this woman was of no help. And I did end up becoming a stand-up. But it's just sometimes time has to just go by. There's no linear way to make things happen. Sometimes they just do or they fucking don't. Anyway, so... Seriously, I felt like I had no relationship with her. I'd see her every other week. I think I've only saw her like three times. She fell asleep during a session once. And, you know, probably because I was so boring, but she probably was tired or she had narcolepsy or something. But I can't remember why. I think it was my boss at the temp place or the girl I worked with or someone, a client. But there was some, for some reason, the name Julie was on my brain when I was writing her her check and I handed it to her and she goes, you wrote Julie Jones. My name's, you know, Tina. And I went, Oh, right. Sorry. I I didn't even realize I had written Julie. And she said, can I ask you something? And I said, sure. And she said, is it because I'm Jewish? And I went, what? And she said, well, Jew, I'm not kidding. It was amazing. It was seriously like, something that would happen in a Woody Allen movie where he, I think in Annie Hall, there's a scene where he's like, did you hear that? Jew eat. They they didn't say, did you eat? They're trying to say Jew. So they said, Jew eat. And so I thought, no, I'm, she's accusing him of being anti-Semitic. And then my boyfriend was Jewish. So I went and asked him and he was like, I can assure you that that is not an example of anti-Semitism. You had the name Julie on your mind. It's not like you spelled it J-W. I mean, it was just like... Oh, my God. So I never went back to her because she fell asleep and basically accused me of being anti-Semitic. So that was not a great match. But I was starting to slowly lose my mind being a temp. And, and I remember so many times just taking the subway to a job and going, I can't do it today and getting off the platform and turning back around and getting back on the F train back to Prospect Park and going home. And my roommate would sometimes be delighted by this. And she would be home and I'd go, I quit another one. And she would be like, let's go get coffee. And we'd get a pack of cigarettes and some coffee and we'd sit there. I didn't realize that these are terrible habits that were not getting me anywhere. I mean, at least if I'm going to do that, I should do it and go write jokes somewhere. But I would just go and fuck off and I don't even know. My expenses were nil. So that's kind of why I could do stuff like that. I think my rent was 300 and my health insurance was still covered under my parents' plan in Massachusetts. And then I think that was it. Like I maybe had a $500 expense a month. So if I could just make like a couple hundred a week, you know, I was just fine. Um, And then I worked at, I've told this story before, but I don't remember if I told it on this podcast, but if you listen to the episode with my friend Paul F. Tompkins, I did tell this story years ago on his podcast, The Pod F. Tomcast. and you know, it's been so long, it's like, what's memories anymore and what's real, but this is mostly real. I was at a temp job, and I was scrolling through the newspaper looking for work, and this place said, Airs Magazine, Magazine for Millionaires, you can make up to $50,000, something like that in your first month? You know, do you have what it takes to sell? No prior sales experience required. And I thought, well, gee, I'm getting up and doing comedy in front of strangers. I'm pretty gutsy. I bet I could do this. And so on my lunch hour, I went to interview. It wasn't even a real place. It wasn't a business that was in a building that had a sign on the door. It was, you know, the... I remember walking by this giant skyscraper sort of near Penn Station in 34th and something in New York City. And I looked at it and I thought, wow, this is Ayers Magazine. And it wasn't. It was just a skyscraper that had hundreds of different little businesses all throughout it. And as I got in the elevator, I realized, oh, this isn't... this." It it just kept... Reality kept hitting realer and realer and realer. And I'm getting off the elevator and I'm walking in the hall and I'm going, God, they don't even have the whole floor of this building. And then I'm knocking on the the door with a paper sign that says airs, And it's a room. It's one room with a few folding tables and folding chairs and phones. I'm talking old school landline phones, just like I talked about at Solid ING, heavy landline phones, a pad of paper and a pencil and some kind of book of leads. And so I went and sat with this guy. I tell you, it could have been 30, could have been 50. I don't remember. But I remember him being dressed with just cheesy, you know, with the suspenders and his feet up on the desk and he was referencing Death of a Salesman, and I think he called Willie Loman the wrong name. Maybe called him Robert Loman or something. I don't even know. I don't even think he realized that Death of a Salesman was a sad story about a salesman who's terrible at his job. Uh, and so he said, "I, what do you bring to this? This is kind of a weird job for a woman, you know, that kind of thing. But I think that actually could help because people trust women. Yeah, I'm getting it. He basically was praising himself for taking a chance on a woman and getting into the psychology of people that they trust women more. And, you know, the, you and me together, this could be a big thing. You know, you could make us a lot of, you could be our star person. He's like, see Jimmy over there. He's an actor too. He reads backstage magazine on his lunch break. And, you know, because he's a really one of our top sellers, I let him go on auditions. And I thought, this is it. This is, this is the thing that no other job has understood that sometimes I might want to go on an audition and, oh my gosh, this is great. Um, because I did actually have a comedy manager at that time. she go, you got to go on auditions. I don't understand. You're never free. And I was like, well, I have to make a living. So I thought that's so great. So he said, yeah, you you know, you could probably make 50,000 this month. And I just thought, oh. And so I didn't go back to that temp job I was at. And I spent my lunch hour at Strawberry or one of those stores. And I bought all these polyester kind of matchy matchy business outfits because he was so confounded he he said we've never had a woman here before and I make the guys wear suits I want them to look respectable and and it was such bullshit that they had to wear suits because they weren't going anywhere or meeting with anybody and they were only sitting in this room together but I guess it was I, I don't know it felt like a cult like there was no semblance of of reality you know and so he was sort of like, well, I don't know what would a woman wear in a business environment. And so I bought all these weird outfits. And, you know, I remember calling my parents, you guys, I'm going to make $50,000 this month. And I, I think they were laughing like, Jen, no. OK, great. Sure. It sounds like a pyramid scheme or some Doesn't sound real. Remember my dad going, some things are too good to be true. You guys don't understand. So this is what the job was. There was a magazine. Now, I don't remember if the guy I interviewed with, if if it, I don't think it was his magazine. I don't know who produced it. Or if, like, part of me thinks this magazine never existed and that this whole thing was a scam. So keep in mind that could be true. Or it could be there really was this shit magazine, and I don't know who was in charge of it or how it worked. But it was called Ayers Magazine, the magazine for millionaires. <laughs> and this magazine, as the guy kept saying... Only millionaires read this. You can't get this unless you're a millionaire. It's not on the newsstands. You have to have a subscription. And the only reason you would know about it is because you've done some millionaire thing. Like you bought a jet or you have like a multi-million dollar dental practice. The, the people that run the magazine know who the millionaires are. And that's how they get subscriptions. So I thought, oh, okay. So he said, we are calling millionaires to place ads in Ayers Magazine for Millionaires. That's how we keep it going. So I was like, okay. So it wasn't even that I was selling subscriptions to Ayers. I was selling advertising in Ayers. So I would have to call people and say, you know, I'd call a dentist and say, hi, is this Marty Blah Blah's office? Yes. Yeah, so, uh, who does your advertising? Advertising, we don't do advertising. I mean, we might advertise in a few things. I said, well, you know, he's an exclusive dentist who does cosmetic dentistry, and I would think he would want, you know, more millionaire clients. Okay, what's this about? Well, I uh, work for a magazine called Ayers Magazine, the magazine for millionaires. We don't need any magazines. Oh, we're not trying to sell you a magazine. You can place an ad in Ayers. And it's going to be seen by millionaires. Only millionaires get this magazine. And as I was saying it, I realized how stupid I sounded. And I had to adopt the same. So I started becoming really hardened and just calling people and yelling at them. Oh, I guess you don't want millionaires to see your thing. Oh, hi, private jet company. Well, where do you normally take out ads? In the penny saver? I don't think so. Why don't you advertise? These people actually have millions of dollars. And I remember someone saying... Why would a millionaire not know where to get things like this? Like, they're going to really answer an ad? I don't understand this magazine. I was like, I don't either. I've never fucking seen a copy of it. But, and so what you would do is get them interested enough to where you would pass them over to the closer. So it was all very Glenn, Gary, Glenn Ross, a movie I had not seen until years later. And that was like, you know, where are solid ING. They were trying to act like, you know, Wall Street movies, these guys I think were totally trying to do a Glenn Gary Glenn Russell. So I I would pass it off to the closer. And I think I think like one of the first days I did do a deal, like the guy closed it. But now I look back, I go, was that bullshit? And then I'd earned a cigarette break or something ridiculous. And I went outside and was chain smoking and talking to one of the other guys, the guy that was the actor that would get to go on auditions. And I don't know. The whole thing just seemed weird. And then I just wanted to leave one day early. And so I went to my boss and told him my lady problems. And he goes, period problems. All right. It was something like that. And I got out of work. But um, it it was really disheartening. And, And as I was doing it, I realized I don't know if this magazine exists, but I don't think it's realistic that I'm going to cold call, cold call 20 people a day 50 people a day and get a few of them to commit to a five to $10,000 ad buy. And I'm going to get a percentage. It just slowly dawned on me. This isn't real. And I don't know how anyone here is making any money. I doubt anyone is. And I didn't get a paycheck. It was like, you didn't get your first check for two weeks. And, you know, I think it was only like 50 bucks a day or something ridiculous. But, I ended up quitting. I lied and said that I got, I said I got a job. I think I lied and said I got a job or I just never showed up again. Honestly, I don't remember anymore, but I did have to go back for my paycheck and the office was gone or something crazy like that. I went back. The sign was gone. Nobody was there. I do think I ended up not getting paid. I don't know. Honestly, guys, it was so long ago. I can't remember. It was 20 years ago, but- Then you say 20 years ago and you go, that still seems too close to how old I am now that I believed these people. And I just remember taking all of my horrible polyester suit things that I bought, put them in a box and I brought them to the church down the street. And I donated them to the nun who was collecting clothing for women who were going on job interviews, you know, one of those kind of things. So I hope somebody got a paying job wearing that clothing. Then it was on to working at KPMG. But then my final job in New York City was at an internet company. Now, I think people from this are probably listening. I know my old boss has contacted my agent a few times to be like, can Jen do a private gig up in the Bay Area? And I've always said no because <laughs> I just it's just going to be a disaster. But it was a company that would not exist today because technology's just gone too crazy. But this is where I was working on 9-11. And it was called Quixie. And it was basically, okay, you have a virtual assistant, but you call them on the phone, like 1-800-whatever. But it wasn't even an 800 number. It was a number. This is back when it cost money to call long distance. And so I think it was like a 750 number, which is somewhere in Northern California. And that's where the, you know, the, the reps were. And we... Our accountant found out that somebody was calling. So you could call you call the number, and say, hey, connect me to my mom. And they would connect you. Um, instead of just you, you know, like now it's voice recognition, driving, you would call. And I don't know why you would need that, but people were calling that lived in it, away from that area code to be connected to someone, and then Quixie was ending up paying the bill. So it was like this huge thing. I sat next to the accountant, and he, he was like, Jennifer, Whoever started this company didn't realize that we're just connecting people via our phone system to long distance numbers for free. And now our phone bills are like tens of thousands of dollars a month. And so they had to do something about that. And, you know, or you could call and say, hey, it's my mom's birthday shop online for her, for me and send her something. So it was really like they went to Amazon.com for you or whatever early Amazon was. And they would somehow know all your preferences and they'd have all your contacts. And so you could call up and basically anything you could do online, they could do for you. And they might call you and go, oh, it's your wife's birthday. I can order flowers. It was just a lot. And it it was a virtual assistant. But then it became... Um, a thing that salesmen could use to track, you know, if you had a meeting, then you'd go in your car and call C and go, I spoke to John from Team A and the budget is this. And you would just dictate stuff to them and they would do some spreadsheet and then email it to you. I don't remember. But I was the head of the company's administrative assistant and everyone at the company would tell me their private lives. And we had Tony, you know, he, in quotes, seemed gay, like literally an over the top estimation of what a gay man is like, Oh, I'm effeminate, you know? And he would, but it was like, it was the overcompensation that made me go, what is happening here? So he would sit there and he'd go see any movies this weekend. And then, you know, I'd be like, no, I hate going to the movies. And how do you hate going to the movies? I've always hated going to the movies. I don't know what it is. And then my, um, the human resources woman, Lisa, would go, I did, we saw my best friend's wedding. He'd go, ugh, oh, chick flick. And But that's how he talked. He literally talked like Charles Nelson Riley. And so he would sit there drumming. He would have his headphones on and he would sit there with his pencils drumming and he'd be listening to ACDC. He always was listening to ACDC. And he'd be like, hell's bells. And he would be singing. And he was never at his desk. And then he took me aside in the kitchen when he goes, I think you're the only one who can understand this. I said, it was, it, the reason I've been taking long lunches is because I'm modeling on the side. And I said, what? And he was this handsome, kind of older man, like gray hair, kind of like a Roger Sterling from Mad Men kind of looking guy. And he goes, this woman, I ran into her in an elevator, and she told me that she's a photographer and she takes photos of men for the cover of romance novels. So I'm, so he was going to some woman's studio and he showed me the photos, and they were beautiful. But then he'd go, okay, it's a man. And i go, what is? He goes, it's a man's studio. It's not a woman photographer. It's a guy. i go, okay. And he goes, is that gay? And i go, um, no. I mean, are you having sex with a guy? <laughs> no, Jennifer. I'm just, I'm, a, but it's so funny, because if, you know, if the boss ever sees me on a romance novel cover, well, you know, he's gonna, like... I wonder if he'll know that I went during lunch. I'm like, I can't even believe these are real books. Like, I didn't know what was happening. And then Tony was just never around. And my boss would turn around and go, where's Tony? And I'd go, I don't know. But I did know. He's in a a studio down the street in Chelsea somewhere getting photographed by this dude. (laughs) And, you know, Tony had a wife and kids. Well, they fired Tony eventually. And they found out that he had never filed taxes or something crazy for the corporation. Oh, my God. So then I had one friend at work. She always had wine lip in the morning. Do you know what I mean? Like, she she had that red wine lip from the night before. But she really did her work. Um, but the human resources woman had just met someone. And they lived in New Jersey, but he also worked in Manhattan. And she would go, just a hot tip. The Chelsea Hotel, it sounds gross, but it's great for a quickie. And I will go, What? And she and her boyfriend would have quickies at the Chelsea Hotel. And then she and Tony, the accountant, started going to lunch together every day. And she would say, Tony and I went to the Chelsea Hotel. And I'd go for lunch. And she'd go, whatever you want to call it. I'd go, are you having an affair with Tony? I was so confused what was happening. Like, was Tony gay? He was doing romance novel covers. Was he having an affair with the human resources woman? Like, everyone was telling me their secrets. And it was the weirdest thing that ever happened. And then on 9-11, that was the desk I was sitting at. And we watched... Everything happened. And then I was like, can I leave? Like, it was one of those things where I'm like, am I allowed to leave? Like, why are we still working? Like, clearly something bad's happening. Um, it was on 23rd and 6th, and, or 22nd and 6th. And it was just crazy. And I was there for a year and a half. And I saved up and I quit. And I was like, I'm moving to L.A. And that was, I think, November of 2011. And I quit and just kind of bummed around New York for a couple months and then moved to L.A. in January of 2002, but that, those are my ridiculous New York stories, and I hope you enjoyed them. Uh, I'm 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 rushing because I do have to wrap up. I'm I'm this might be a shorter episode, but I'm running out the door. But I wanted to, first of all, everybody get tickets for all my shows on my website, and then tweet about it Jen, using hashtag jenkirkman.com 2019. I will love you forever. But lastly, if you are in a city like New York, and you're walking around and you see women wearing headphones. I hope you are not reading Modern Man magazine because they just gave some pretty bad advice. And I'm going to read this article and then, men, you are going to do none of what this article says. So from The Modern Man, what was this, Airs magazine, how to talk to a woman who is wearing headphones. These days, many women walk around playing with a smartphone or tablet device and are often wearing headphones and listening to music at the same time. Yet that doesn't mean you can't talk to them. What to do to get her attention? One, stand in front of her. Two, have a relaxed, easygoing smile. Yeah, because murderers never do that. Three, is if she hasn't already looked up at you, simply get her attention with a wave of your hand. Wave your hand in her direct line of vision so she can't ignore it. Four, when she looks at you, smile and point to her headphones and say, take your headphones off for a minute and pretend to be taking headphones off your head so she fully understands. If she doesn't understand, most women will. What the fuck? Simply gesture that you want to talk to her by briefly pointing back and forth from you to her and say, I want to talk to you for a minute. In most cases, you won't have to go that extreme, but some girls are shy and will be hesitant uh, to take the headphones off right away because you're feeling a lot of nervousness and excitement about what's happening. What to say when she takes off her fed- headphones? You, in a friendly, confident manner. Hey, I know it's not normal for people to talk to someone with headphones in, but I was walking along and saw you and thought... Wow, she's a cutie. I have to say, hi, I'm Dan. What's your name? Women, usually flattered by the compliment and impressed by your confidence to approach her like that. What? Jessica, you, add in some good humor. Cool, nice to meet you, Jessica. I don't normally talk to girls with headphones, but your big green headphones were just calling out to me. Woman, most likely laughing, smiling, and enjoying the interaction. You, you. Let her know that you have something to do, somewhere to go, so she understands that you're not going to stand there talking to her for 30 minutes. Anyway, so I'm just out doing a bit of shopping at the moment, and I'm on my way to a store up the street. How's your day going so far? No one wants to answer that question. Most women are open to being approached. As you may have noticed, women don't usually go around approaching men. Women know that is the man's role. We don't want to approach men. Oh my God, this article, it's got to be satire. Women, on the other hand, have to look their best and to attract the attention of the confident alpha males. So to never think you're doing a bad thing by approaching. Most women wait and hope to be approached by a guy so they actually have a chance to meet a confident alpha male. Guys, I can't even continue reading this article. Here's my advice. Never approach someone with headphones on, man or woman. It's a universal sign of we don't want to talk. Now, here's the deal. If they are on fire... You can t- take your headphones off. And only then. Oh, my goodness. Happy fall, everybody. Until next week, have fun.